Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode of Finding Harmony. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell Case, and we wanted to take a little breathing break this week. You know, you're you're right. We, I feel like we've had a couple of intense episodes in a row, and I personally feel like I could use a little bit of a breather. Yeah, breathing's so important, especially during these times when things are feeling a little heavy or a little stressful, a little hot. I think it's really important to focus on our breathing and to consciously make time for a breathing practice. Well, would, we would just die if we, if we didn't breathe though, right? We're just gonna, like, breathing is just a thing that we do. Well, that's the interesting thing about breath is it's one of the processes that we have that happens pretty much completely unconsciously. It's oh, that's the autonomic nervous system. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> it's connected to the autonomic nervous system, but it's the a process that we can easily control. We can easily bring it under our conscious control, unlike something like our heart rate or our digestion, which is much more difficult to control do you, consciously. Do you, do you find controlling your heartbeat difficult <laughs> a little bit yeah huh. <laughs> and so the breath is said to be like a bridge actually between the unconscious mind and the conscious mind because it's sort of the subtlest gross quality about ourselves. you know it's something that we can feel but we can't see but it's also the grossest subtle quality about ourselves. unlike our mind that we can't see or feel our breath we come on we live in canada we can see our breath easily <laughs> yeah you can see it in the winter for sure it's mostly winter here. winter's already started yeah the leaves are all sort of dying it's august it's time to get started yeah so I became really interested. I really wanted to learn a pranayama practice early on um, in my yoga uh, path, I guess. Why, why? I just felt like it was something that was incredibly important and it was something that I really wanted to learn. I don't know. I had a just a drawing to it, a strong pull to learn a pranayama practice. It seemed to me like that's where the real juice of yoga was. Where, where, who told you that? Nobody told me that. Where that was just that? my feeling. Where did you hear it? Though? I read a lot of books. Oh, I didn't read any books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I really wanted to to learn pranayama from a, a teacher, a guru. I was, I mean, at that time especially, I was really seeking uh gurus, teachers who had years and years of experience that were uh, well steeped in the practices of yoga. Well, it's interesting because that was a little bit different for me because like f for me, I think the first time I heard about pranayama, like maybe I heard about it in uh, Swami Vivekananda's book, didn't really pay any attention to it. Uh, but the first time I heard about it was that there was a special class <laughs> with special people and me being, you know, your husband, I wanted in the class. That's, <laughs> that's all I knew, you know, like, so, but you actually, you had learned something about it, was intrigued by it. And, 
And what were you intrigued by that? Like that was a thing that would be the key to unlocking enlightenment? Yeah, I think so. I think I felt like it was the next step on this journey of, uh, yeah, deep states of meditation that without the pranayama, uh, deep states of meditation would not be possible. Do you think so? I'm, I actually don't know if that's true. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that it definitely helps, especially if you're a little bit more of a remedial learner like myself. Mm. Um, and you don't just naturally, you know, slip into a meditative state. I think the pranayama can really assist the mind into slowing down and entering a more contemplative brainwave. But was that something that that you'd heard at all in like Khan Buddhism? Because in the Zen Buddhism books that I was I was picking up, you know, whether it was Suzuki or, or anyone else, like that kind of um, uh, extreme intervention, which I agree is 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 very helpful. Like asana, it's an extreme intervention on the habits of the the personality. But I'm I'm not. Sh are you aware of? Because I know that you studied. That, are you aware of in in Buddhist studies of people using a, a pranayama to do more invasive work? Yeah, it's not really part of the Buddhist practices that I've learned so much. I mean, it is mentioned sometimes that if you're falling asleep or feeling sleepy while you're meditating, that you should um, breathe more strongly, and that will kind of wake you up. So you oh. should take a little bit of control of your breath and breathe a bit more strongly. Um, but pranayama in the way that it's taught in yoga, where you're holding and retaining the breath, isn't really taught in any of the Buddhist practices that I've learned. And I think in, in Burmese Buddhism, that, that was never mentioned. It was just always just, you know, sit there and observe. Yeah, and I'm most like Zen meditation comes out of the same uh, tradition as Chan or the Vipassana meditation. Did you I mean, Chan Buddhism. Chan. I said Khan Buddhism. Is that wrong? I think it's wrong. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and that actually comes from the word dhyana, yeah. right? Dhyana. Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So in India yeah. they called it dhyana, and then in China they called it Chan, and then. <sighs> It turned into Zen in, in Japan. That's the problem with cultural appropriation right there. <laughs> Different languages. <laughs> just the way things get screwed up. Yeah, it just gets transmitted up. from one one place to another. Yeah, there's that's you know, not to be offensive to the Japanese, but there's just something, you know, incredibly inauthentic about their entire culture. Don't <laughs> I don't think that. Come on. <laughs> no, no, that's the thing that's the most beautiful thing about appropriation is when a culture really makes it their own and really it becomes intrinsically theirs it's interesting like ashtanga yoga is going to be that thing that the japanese do in say 200 years yeah and everyone will think that it came from japan <laughs> exactly like buddhism exactly <laughs> probably hmm. yeah so yeah i just felt like this pranayama thing was very unique to the yoga practices and that it was a very valuable tool in practice and also quite esoteric. I mean, at that time, you know, 20 what? some odd years ago, 
Yeah. There was really no one teaching pranayama. No one was even talking about it. I mean, I guess Tim Miller was teaching it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, sure. Um, and Rolf uh, was but teaching it in Goa. Within Ashtanga Yoga Circles. Within the Ashtanga Yoga Circles, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty tight circle there already. Yeah. And then a, t a tight circle in inside of that circle. Even, yeah, it was very small. <laughs> and so 20 years ago, 2000, and you're doing Ashtanga Yoga in Calgary, and you'd heard about uh, this pranayama that, that was that might be useful. And the next thing I knew, you were like like uh, deeply entrenched in Tawariji's whole program with pranayama. And like you had just taken on a whole other teacher there, which was like... <laughs> That was like illegal. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, so back in the day, it was definitely frowned upon to have uh, two teachers or to be learning from another school of thought. But, um, you know, it kind of came to me at the same time. When I was in Mysore in 2004, I met Paul Delahan, who at that time had a retreat center in Koh Samui called Yoga Thailand. And um, his teacher was Sri O.P. Tawari, how did that happen though because he was like a, a bartender in manhattan and you know working part-time at jiva mukti and then like suddenly he's like entrenched in tawariji's back pocket i mean <laughs> well it's kind of a, these things happen kind of a long story i think but <laughs> they met <laughs> and well, uh so then you met paul and and he he recruited you right in gokulam yeah, I mean, we became friends. He lived upstairs in the apartment upstairs from mine. And so he had been learning uh, pranayama with Sri O. Pitawari, who was the head or the main sort of figurehead of the Kavalyadam Institute in Lanavala, which is a tiny little city between Mumbai and Pune. Mm -hmm. And so um, through Paul, Paul introduced me to sort of the basic beginning practices of pranayama. And he was having a two-week retreat at his retreat center in Thailand with Sri Opi Tawari, um, of which I expressed great interest and I really had to go. I really wanted to be there to meet Tawari, to just like immerse myself in pranayama. You were attracted. You were immediately attracted to the, to the idea, the yeah. concept. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, um, and so, you know, one thing led to another. And anyway, Paul ended up hiring me to teach yoga at uh, yoga thailand to teach retreats and to help him manage the retreat center in kosamui in kosamui yeah. so samui yeah oh, <laughs> so i lived there for three years and like at that time was in just like the next island over is kopanyang yeah did i say that right yeah kopanyang okay yeah. and then like rolf was there yeah rolf was there teaching when it was was Kirsten still there? Was she? Uh, Kirsten they were had just it, left uh, the year before, I think, right. in two thousand and three. I think they were like going halfy half. So it was like a yeah. There like, was a little bit of back and like forth. Like when you divorce and you share a child. <laughs> yeah, they were sharing a bungalow. That's right. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, but Paul was on Kosamui, and even though the islands are pretty close together, uh, there wasn't that much crossover happening. Um, people who practice with Rolf were really practicing with Rolf. Right. And, uh, you know, Paul had his own kind of uh, thing going on with the teacher trainings and retreats, and it was more like an all-inclusive 
type resort. The funny thing is, and this is probably unimaginable to our listeners, was at that time, Paul was known as a little bit of an um, impresario or a, <laughs> a marketer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the disgust within our Ashtanga yoga community for someone that would market themselves. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because like, there's no way if you were Rolf students, you were going to even like go in, walk into Paul's room, given who he, you know, that he market, he would deign to market himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's actually where I met our friend Nick Evans was he was on his way over to Rolf's and oh, he right. stopped at Paul's retreat center for a couple of days and practiced there. And hmm. that was the first time that I really met Nick, Okay, which was interesting. I met a actually quite a few people teaching at Paul's Retreat Center because a lot of teachers that teach now actually um, came to the practice through his teacher training program. Oh, and right. so that was always kind of quite fascinating to, to meet these up and coming teachers on these teacher training programs. And then all of a sudden they'd show up in Mysore. Yeah. And then after a few years, they'd be authorized and have right. their own yoga schools. And a, th a third of my students in Taiwan went to Paul's, got got went through that teacher training and then went to Mysore after that yeah for sure. it was a very popular path back yeah in the early 2000s yeah. so you tell us about O.P. Tawari what what is he like as a person uh, he's he's really a wonderful wonderful person wonderful example of a yoga teacher he's um I don't know I feel like he just embodies ancient wisdom and he's probably He's in his 80s now, for sure, mm -hmm. and um, he's just very kind and compassionate and no ego, and mm -hmm. that was, you know, very simple, very natural, um, and so for me, he was really like a true uh, embodiment of the teachings of yoga, so learning from him was always deeply moving, and it was a pretty incredible, you know, he'd take your pulse and he could tell what was out of balance, what was going on. It was 2008, um, and I went uh, to Lonavala. I was in Mysore. It was a long weekend or something like that. And um, so I was practicing my pranayama with him, and he took my pulse, and he said, something's, something's off, something's going on. He said, I want you to do one thing. Uh, take a string and tie it around your big toe three and a half times what? a cotton string <laughs> What? yeah okay so I was like okay that's kind of strange and weird but sure you know I'm up for it so I went and bought some cotton string and tied it around my you know went back to Mysore and you know got back it to Mysore wait my... wait you kept the string on that whole... I hadn't tied it yet I was oh. supposed to do it before I went to bed and sleep with the string tied around my toe three and a half times like a like the kundalini you know it's cir circled around your uh the base of your spine they say three and a half times I thought this was quite intriguing oh, you know right, I was like yeah. okay well sure I'm up for it um so I got back to Mysore um, and had my cotton string and tied it around my big toe three and a half times and went to bed. And as I started to fall asleep, my toe started throbbing and throbbing, and, but the string wasn't on that tight. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I started to get these stomach aches, really intense stomach aches. And then I was like on the floor and then I was rolling around. Like I said, I got to take this string off my toe. It's, 
too much. It's like when you took your belly ring out the same way. Yeah, kind of, but way, way worse. <laughs> so I was like, I can't stand it. I was losing my mind. I was really like losing my mind. I, and then I took the string off and I started throwing up and then I was throwing up constantly oh, okay. all night long. Our listeners should know that that's like one of your favorite things to do is just, just spontaneously erupt. No, I really thought I was dying. No, I was in so much pain. All the time. It's ridiculous. And so, uh, yeah, so anyway, I was all up all night long throwing up every 20 minutes, like wreathing in pain, writhing, wreathing. <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway rolling around the floor desperate and uh i every time i drink a little water it would just come back up and mm-hmm. jeff at the time was with me and he uh went to practice the next morning and i was like i can't go isn't he like supposed to give you like an iv and hydrate you <laughs> yeah. and put you in an emergency room or something no but he had a suspicion which i kind of was wondering about at the same time he came back from practice i was still like in so much pain Anyway, oh. he took me to the hospital, and oh, I was having this. an appendicitis. You were having the appendicitis. <laughs> and the fucking string, like, spontaneously, just, like, destroyed, exploded your appendix? I don't know. Maybe. I don't oh. know. <laughs> this guy sounds like some kind of death cult leader. No, he's like a jungle doctor. No, yeah. No. He, killed, he <laughs> cut, tried to kill you with the string. No, I think it, he wanted to pull up the problem that was happening. <laughs> yeah, that may never have arisen otherwise. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, yeah, he was like a real jungle. He or he is. I mean, he's still alive today. He's a real jungle physician. He knows what's going on at a very deep well, level. The pulse is really cool. You know, I, I worked with... Um, an acupuncturist very closely for three years as an apprentice and it's uh it's true that um a chinese medicine doctor or ayurvedic well certainly yeah but um from what i what i personally know about is that a chinese medical doctor can immediately know if you're pregnant by listening to your pulse which is something that i would think that an OBGYN would would really like to know <laughs> yeah you know that'd be really helpful and it's um i can't quite do it myself but my understanding is that it's a it's a deeper throbbing pulse and it's it's immediately detectable yeah a really good uh, chinese doctor traditional chinese medicine doctor or even an ayurvedic doctor they can tell even the uh gender of the child by the pulse <laughs> that's crazy it's true yeah but it's crazy still <laughs> so there's some mysteries yeah. in uh, in these uh deep sensing um sort of jungle medicine traditions i think so for me pranayama was kind of grouped into that jungle medicine it was mm-hmm. like something that um, you know, was curative and healing, but also really transformative and and putting you in maybe an altered state of consciousness or some other deep meditative states mm-hmm. like would lead into that. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was, was that my your, experience, actually. That, that was your experience when doing the practices. Cause I, yeah, I had this picture of you like swallowing rope and throwing it up. Those are the Kriyas. That's something separate. Oh, right. Yeah. That was all part of it, though. That 
Well, you do the kriyas, the shat kriyas. You can practice them to in order to clean out the nadis, to clean yeah. out your energy channels, so that the prana can move more effectively and more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there, there's those six kriyas, shat kriyas. They're mentioned in the Hatha Pradipika, uh, that will help to clean out the your body channels. I kind of felt the same way about pranayama myself, that it was a kind of thing where uh, it would uh, kind of cleanse the lungs and and it was a, like a tonic for the lungs and uh, necessary to the human condition like that, that if you were in a bad state, you would need to do a therapy like a yoga chikitsa for yourself. And there were times when, you know, our our modern life overwhelms us, and then we would I could do a pranayama class, whether it was, uh, I mean, a pranayama technique, like sitali or retention, and it would immediately I would notice my blood pressure go down, my heart rate go down, and then um, I started actually trying to game this the system. <laughs> where I would you ever go to, like you go to Walmart and you notice like the blood pressure machine yeah I'd go over I would try and cheat it <laughs> yeah. I would go and I would I would I would do pranayama quite intently and <laughs> then like see you know how could I get my heartbeat to 45 you know could I get my blood pressure down all the way and it it, it could it and it, it does that yeah it has a really positive effect on your heart rate and your blood pressure and also on like the acidity um, of your blood, the pH what? balance inside. The acidity of your blood? Yeah. Your blood has pH? Yeah. Huh. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a weird thing to think about. And, you know, that especially when you are doing retentions or um, extending the length of the exhalation, that's really where the, the real benefits come in because it starts to balance your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, and that's, and that's what I notice right away is that, is that if I'm agitated and I'll do a little retention, either inhale or exhale, and immediately find, find myself calmed and and it's this this notion of like of being of taking control of your life in a way that it's the op- complete opposite of control because you're releasing into the the experience mm. where you know instead of just sitting around waiting for nice things to happen to you you know like falling in love or look or seeing <laughs> a sunset or listening to music instead of like sitting around waiting for that or if you find yourself incapable of experiencing it while you're witnessing, it's like, I'm just too agitated to enjoy this right now. <laughs> How often in um, lovemaking have you felt that way? <laughs> so, so then you do a pranayama technique and, and the, you know, a deep diaphragmatic breathing and suddenly you find yourself sinking into an experience where you can experience joy and enjoy the thing that you're encountering, which is so nice. Yeah. So, I mean, in my experience and what I was taught from Sri Pituari was that 
you know, the pranayama should always be sweet. It should always make you feel really good after, and it should always leave you with a, a feeling of calmness. Your nervous system should be soothed from the experience. But both you and I were fortunate or unfortunate, I don't know which, to be in this special group that special, was special group. Uh, practicing pranayama with uh, Sri K. Patabi Joyce what, in what, Mysore. What was Tawariji's asana program the same way? Was it like very sweet, have no effect on you, nice feeling? Yeah, the asana also is to be done in a very See, calm, yeah, that's all smooth it's way. Just, it's not, there's nothing, no, it's not. It is. It's, it's actually to, not. It's supposed to hurt. No, it's and not. And then you endure the experience. <laughs> no, that's it's the point not. <laughs> of Ashtanga Yoga is to how much can you endure until you don't want to try doing anything anymore. You just <laughs> You just, it, that's one philosophy sure it's but it's the one that works <laughs> yeah how how well is that working for you th these days i endure all kinds of things <laughs> through the day thank you very much <laughs> so patabi joyce's pranayama group what so you went to that class yeah and so did you <laughs> so um what do you remember the day that we were invited it was a lead intermediate series day, I remember. You do? Yeah. It and was a Sunday. It was like, was it 2007? It was 2007, January. And uh, what I remember is that neither of our um, uh, wives or husbands were invited. Which... Um, well, my husband did get invited. But it was as an, like a kind of <laughs> tag along. Well, what happened was Patabi Joyce had said something... Uh, at the beginning of the class, I was beside Noah or behind Noah. I yeah. can't remember which, but in Noah uh, Williams' vicinity yeah. to do the class. And uh, before the class started, Toby Joyce came out and said something to the effect of, um, oh, there's a pranayama, pranayama class today. You come. And he said it uh, to Noah. I think he said it to Noah, but because I was kind of in Noah's vicinity, he was also sort of looking at me. Yeah, he was looking at you. Yeah, and I was sort of like, oh, I wonder if he means just Noah or if he means me or like what's going on. So um, because you, Patabi Joyce didn't just teach pranayama to like one person. He had sort of had a little group. group of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after the intermediate series class, I went up to Noah and I said, Noah, do you think that the pranayama was just for you or did he mean me too? And you would ask Noah because Noah and Kimberly at that time were our main mentors. They were our, our, our guides to the whole experience. Like, what do we do at any given moment? We'd ask Noah and Kimberly. Yeah, because Noah was certified and he... He was more than just certified. He was like, he was special. Yeah, he was very special. He was yeah. Noah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's Kimberly, who is the, the no, the all knowing. Yes, also yeah. all knowing. So, not no just also all knowing, <laughs> but all knowing. Yes. Okay. So, Noah, in his infinite wisdom, yeah. because he is really lovely, very 
um, egoless in a way to me. He didn't want to be in control of anyone or determine anyone's future yeah. or relationship, which I think is a really special quality and a rare quality of in uh, the senior teachers at around those that time in a way. Yeah. Um, he said to me, you know what? I don't know. Go ask Guruji yourself. Mm -hmm. Go ask him. Yeah. And I was like, really? I should ask him? And he's like, yes. He's like, he's your teacher. Go ask him. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was really nervous. And I went into the office and I think Jeff was with me. Right after class. Right after class. Weird. And, um, and I said to Guruji, Guruji, uh, pranayama class today? Should I come? Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, oh, yes, yes, you come. Advanced series, you coming. Yeah. Because I was practicing some advanced series right, at that yeah. time. And uh, the same posture as me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then Jeff, I think, said, me too, Guruji. Yes, you come too. <laughs> Okay. And so we both got invited. But he really we just met you. Practicing advanced series. So that's so crazy because we kind of must have just passed each other in and out of the office. Mm -hmm. You remember what happened to me that day? Yeah, I have a vague recollection. I totally fucked up that day. <laughs> I woke up super early as normal, uh, you know, 2.33. And as you know, I did like a thing where I would like, I would practice yoga for like two and a half hours first yeah. to kind of warm up, mm -hmm. especially for letter and intermediate on a Sunday. <laughs> and then I don't, my clock died yeah, and I ended up pre-stretching for three and a half hours. <laughs> and I like, something's wrong and I don't know what the, what the fuck is going on. And then like, oh fuck, I missed the class. <laughs> Oops. I miss the intermediate. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. You know, I was like, uh, like, oh my god. And I also like stupid. Like, it's the first of the month. Like, I have to pay Guruji, and I have to. Tuition was due. Tuition was due, and I've got like a wad of cash as thick as my arm. And I've got to like, go bring that in, and that's going to be humiliating on top of missing class. <laughs> I was like, so I just like, uh, I just, because we've been taught to endure anything, I just <laughs> suck it up, and I go over to the shala, and I walk in, and it was nasty in there. All of you were drenched <laughs> in sweat, and you were like, like you were all like, glaring at me like where were you you missed <laughs> and like i i can't even begin and like and i saw guruji and he was like he was like reaming out some student for being terrible in class and it was it was really funny um and i just followed him into the shala into the office so mm -hmm. i don't know where you were but i followed guruji into the office i was probably still in the change room right because i asked noah after we went out to have yeah. a coconut i asked him when we were having oh, the coconuts and then i went I, back in i had already been in and out then yeah weird <laughs> so i go into the shala into the shala office and guruji is in there and i think as i remember he's by himself and i give him my wad of cash and as you do this is like an opportunity to kind of get some one-on-one -on -one time 
yeah. the type of choice. Yeah, and, like, try special. And, try and see if maybe you can like, like can you like, like sneak a story out of them? And <laughs> and I've 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 been like good at this. I've been I I'd heard stories about him wrestling and playing soccer as a kid. I gotten stories about Deskachar out of him, who he despised. I got all <laughs> kinds of like funny stories, you know, and. Um, maybe despise is too strong he had contempt for him but so um <laughs> i i said guruji like uh we're gonna do um a conference today and he said no pranayama i said oh okay 10 30. You want, do you want me to come to the pranayama class at 10.30? I said, yes. You come. I was like, oh. <laughs> this was, this was like to someone as status crazed <laughs> and craven as I, as I am or I was or whatever. Uh, this was like, this was like the, the platinum fucking standard in our community and like like the heavens like were opening and i was being invited to the pranayama (laughs) class with hamish and uh tim miller and like these guys and i'm like i'm only like three postures into advanced like this is amazing (laughs) and like i was so stoked i'm probably like ran home to do my intermediate class by myself and then i ran back to class at 10 30 and then oh you and jeff are there (laughs) <laughs> and kimberly and noah well, yeah kimberly and noah sure <laughs> and lino lino and, and kino kino fabio yeah. Ooh, fabio was and alex medine alex yeah alex was there but like fabio was like fabio was sick he was like the and michael gannon he was in that oh, class oh that was too. stupid <laughs> yeah so we all show up and like he was the one that the Guruji was, was reaming out when I walked in. And so we show up and then like then we're like in the pranayama class and I look over and I, I'm sitting like right next to in the class. I'm sitting next to Johnny and Noah and Johnny <laughs> leans over to Noah and says, I thought it was like only advanced students in this class. <laughs> and Noah looks at him and like, I don't know, shrugs. And like, I just like sank and melted into like a little ball like i feel so small in here this is so stupid i should oh my god and i know like johnny probably didn't mean me didn't probably didn't know me from adam but like (laughs) i still felt so stupid so you didn't you didn't like the the batabi joyce pranayama like compared to tawariji that wasn't for you i yeah i mean i liked aspects of it and i was very much um i would say wanting to be immersed in the patabi joyce ashtanga yoga culture oh yeah (laughs) and so um I did practice it for a while, independent yeah. of my other pranayama practice. <laughs> it was like pranayama double-double. Right, like hour number nine of your daily practice. Right. Exactly. So, um, but I found, 
Uh, the way that Patabi Joyce taught Pranayama was very intense and I felt like it was um, a little bit uh, harsh on the nervous system. Yeah, it was, it's, it was, it was the, it was hardcore. Yeah, yeah, I mean, hardcore makes it sound cool, but I actually think it was like a little bit disruptive for people's yeah, nervous systems. Disruptively hardcore. Yeah. Like, like punk music. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. It's it's disturb. It does something good, punk music, but ultimately it's like really disturbing. <laughs> so I, I chose not to kind of continue doing that. I did practice with Tim Miller, the full sequence of the Pranayama yeah. practice that Patabi Joyce had uh, taught him and yeah. um, and he taught it in a much more kind and conducive way I think to learning step by step yeah rather than just like really intensely long holds right off the bat he he kind of taught a method where you would gradually increase the length of the holds hmm. I, I don't know I walked Andrew Hillam our, our dear friend uh, a listener of the of the show he kind of like held my hand and, and walked me into the class as such as it was it was like tim andrew me and this other guy pete um i think his name is pete um uh really good looking guy <laughs> um and like the four of us did it in like a little like homa circle which mm-hmm. was cool it was like really old-fashioned um and it was it was I wouldn't I wouldn't describe it as like less hard than Batabi Joyce. But maybe that was my memory of it was because it lasted an hour. We did the all eight of them, mm-hmm. all eight of the pranayams. Um Tim was kind to us to give us a little like knee break in the middle to kind of stretch out our legs. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe yeah, maybe the first the first pranayams um uh Rechika Puraka Kumbaka were maybe not as hard as it was with Patabi Joyce, which was, you know, like getting a socket blown out of your engine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, it was. I think that was one of the reasons why Patabi Joyce really emphasized. I mean, besides that, he at that time he had so many students um, that it was impossible to teach pranayama to all of them and it was possible to assess whether they were ready for pranayama or not. Um, but if you were in advanced series at that time, you pretty much had been coming to Mysore at least for four or five years. And so I feel like that's why he gave this sort of... Um, you know where this thing came from where people said you have to be an advanced series to do pranayama or to learn yeah. pranayama um just as as a criteria because you had to somehow uh know that people were dedicated to the practice of yoga and had some idea about bandha and some idea about being able to control their breath even yeah. a little bit you know i have a i have a sad story about this I've actually, I've got two. This like two sad stories, um, but one of them is more personal. The other one is is like an epic, the epic Mark Yao pranayama story. <laughs> but the the one that was personal to me and the one that was really sad is that just like us, um, 
we had a friend that was in advance and who had been coming a little bit longer than us, uh, he and his wife, and who I was very close to and who um, stayed with me and actually um, really close friends. And he had, just like us, gone and asked Batabi Joyce if he had also meant him. Like, did you want me to come to the class? Well, wasn't he practicing with Sherrod at that time? Yeah, because, th- and that was the problem, This the really tragic flaw, is that that year, Sherrod was in having people come to his class. Yeah, because that year, they were so busy, they... S- there was Patabi Joyce stopped taking students and there was overflow at Sherrod's right but you didn't necessarily at that time understand how competitive <laughs> the two of them were about their whose students were whose we didn't know that mm-hmm. we didn't know that if you went over to Sherrod's class because there was nowhere else to go that meant that Patabi Joyce no longer considered you his student I mean that, that was unthinkable no one would have gone if that was true. Yeah. And so my friend came to me and said, look, um, Guruji wouldn't let me into his class. I said, really? I said, no. Well, that's so messed up. And he said, well, maybe could you, you know, just teach, like show me what's going on in the class? I said, no, there's no way I'm doing that. Well, that we weren't supposed to tell people what was happening in the class it was like top secret knowledge and we were also not supposed to teach anyone pranayama at that time well yeah and like michael gannon immediately released the cd right you know but like <laughs> like that year he released the patabi joyce cd i think it was even before that year <laughs> yeah, before the year was out well yeah ostensibly that was true but in my heart of hearts I knew I wanted to be more special and it was like not in my best interest to share. Like I I know in my heart that I was evil about it (laughs) and I was just, and it really like he was upset that I wouldn't share because I think he probably knew my soul and like our friendship, like our friendship ended over it, over the, the, and like this like to me defines um, a parigraha. Mm. yeah the hoarding of knowledge the hoarding of knowledge like this it was in that instant i was hoarding and i and i wouldn't share and i feel i I still like i feel shitty about it still you lost a friend over it yeah wow yeah It's, it's like that thing in um um what's his name uh the mahesh maharishi uh, the Beatles teacher. Yeah, the, the, Ma- the Maharishi Ma. What's his name? Oh my God. Yeah. Um. The, the Maharishi. The Maharishi. Mahesh Yogi. Mahesh Mah- Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. The uh, <laughs> what are they? He teaches the uh, TM. TM. The trans- yeah. Trans- the meditation. Yeah. And you know how you're like you're never supposed to like tell anybody your secret word. Yeah. I tell everybody my secret word now. <laughs> I see. Yeah, you know, it's Shri. I I learned I learned Shri. I don't care. I, that's the word. Do it. Do it at home. Do, use the use my mantra. Because it's like I still feel terrible about it. Yeah. Shri. I do that all the time. Speaking of which, like that's the thing about 
pranayam that my takeaway for it mm -hmm. is like doing another hour practice a day i just like if i just use it that way like i just use it when i need it specifically and then i just like i hit it <laughs> yeah. and like i'm just gonna do i'm gonna do it for 30 seconds here and that's gonna help me through the situation yeah i guess that's one way to kind of use it like advil <laughs> but it's better if you use it. I meant like a band-aid, like a non, like a non-doping kind of way. It's a little bit better if you do it consistently because it's like any practice. If you do a little bit regularly, the benefits accumulate, and it has a much stronger effect, and also an overall more balancing effect. But you see how agitated I get. I'm doing it like eight, nine times a day. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. All day long. Yeah. Do yoga all day long. <laughs> that is the point, isn't it? Yeah. So I have a, a pranayama course coming up. You That would be really helpful to yeah. me, actually, to kind of reinforce a more kind of consistent practice. Yeah, you could join. <laughs> I I gave this course before it was originally a six week course and then it we added a couple extra sessions to it and uh -huh. there's also some group coaching uh, that goes along with the course and it was super successful and everyone really had a lot of amazing feedback and so I've decided to offer it again I'm really proud of you and I would love to be a part of the course if you if you would invite me I'll think about it. You think about whether or not you want to do that. <laughs> and we also, I also wanted to just let everyone know too about our upcoming retreat where you and myself and Lara Land. I like her. Yeah, she's fabulous, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, she is. Yeah, and her husband, Timo. No, he's a nice guy though. Yeah. We are all teaching a retreat together we did one earlier in the summer we're doing another different retreat that's focused primarily on meditation and pranayama mm -hmm. uh, as well as it has some online Mysore style and a couple of asana workshops as okay. well but yeah. I mean these are some ways that if you're curious about pranayama or you're curious about meditation and mindfulness and these deeper slightly more esoteric uh, aspects of the Ashtanga yoga practice you can dive in and join a retreat or join uh, my course on breathing my suggestion is not to use it as a status symbol and yeah <laughs> and don't lose a friend over it don't right. uh, <laughs> lose do it, friendships do it because it's going to help your life yes and yeah. I think really it can boost your immunity reduces your stress Anything that so reduces hy hypertension or prehypertension is going to increase your immunity by definition. Really? Is that yeah, true? Absolutely. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it has incredible benefits, the pranayama mm -hmm. practices and just breathing in general. And there's a really simple breathing exercise that you can do at home, which is just called simple breathing, which is inhaling and exhaling for double the length of your inhale so if you're inhaling for three seconds then you exhale for six seconds and if you just practice even that for about three minutes i think you'll notice some really deep benefits and great effects on your whole nervous system and your brain your overall lung capacity with time if you practice regularly um, and some deep physiological 
changes and benefits happening as well. I can feel that working right now, actually. Yeah. And That's good. I mean, we normally breathe somewhere between maybe 15 to 20 breaths a minute, something like that. And mm-hmm. um, when you lengthen the exhalation, you're stimulating your parasympathetic nervous system. So then you feel more calm right yeah. away automatically. Yeah. And um, you're slowing your breath rate down to with a three to six ratio it'd be it's less than seven breaths per minute Mm -hmm. and if you are able to increase that to inhaling for four seconds and exhaling for eight seconds then it comes down to five breaths per minute Mm -hmm. and so this has really really beneficial effects for uh, just rebalancing your nervous system absolutely so that's immediately going to to slow the kind of energy emitted from your brain you know, we, we emit brain waves. Mm-hmm. And so we're normally, when we're problem solving, we're in a beta wave. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you, you know, when you're doing it, like, you're just like, I got to solve this problem, got to solve this problem, got to go with this, got to do this, got to do this. But when you're in a contemplative place mm-hmm. and you're not in executive action, getting shit done, <laughs> but when you're in a contemplative place and you, you allow yourself that that space then the brain wave is measurably slower mm-hmm. it can enter an alpha or potentially a theta wave and we all do this when we go to sleep and we've talked about this before in other podcasts but when that happens then your autonomic nervous system will go from a sympathetic nervous system which is this executive fight or flight function get get things done solve problems it'll then enter a parasympathetic nervous system which is the one that we need to remind ourselves to enter if we're in a if we're a uh, get shit done kind of kind of gal <laughs> i don't know anyone like that <laughs> no I mean, you're too busy working to meet other people <laughs> that's true <laughs> well i'm so glad that we were able to take this little breathing break today and to share this breathing break with others and i hope that this little practice of simple breathing comes in handy for you russell Mm, i'd like that (laughs) and for for our listeners out there too it's really easy and it's really the beginning stages to learning a pranayama practice when you start to lengthen the exhalation you're training yourself to hold the breath so mm-hmm. it's a really safe and accessible way to start learning to hold and retain the breath without actually having to do a kumbhaka or actually holding the breath <laughs> you're just slowly releasing well thank you so much and i want to also remind listeners that next week we have the incredible kimberly flynn the key the kiki flynn on the show so Fantastic. We look forward to that. <laughs> yes, me too. I think that'll be a two-parter. It might be. It will be a two-parter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in it